Hello and welcome to the Booze Brothers. I'm Steve. And I'm David. We have been best friends since second grade, if you can believe that. It's true. And we're the founders of the Tomstown Distilling Company in Kansas City, Missouri. We started Tomstown because we wanted to make game-changing spirits, and we really like to drink, laugh, and drink some more. And thought it would be interesting to learn more about some of the game-changing moments from the lives of the friends we've made. We've met some amazing people since we started the distillery. Funny, fascinating, and generally nuts. And just like cocktails with character, these folks are characters. We felt the world needed to meet these folks, so here we are. Some are famous, some are infamous, but all have fabulous stories of their journey. Today we talk to actor extraordinaire Tuck Watkins. You've seen him in many things, such as One Life to Live, General Hospital, Parks and Rec, The Mummy, Desperate Housewives, and so much more. Currently, you can see him on Showtime's Black Monday and The Boys in the Band, now streaming on Netflix. Without further ado... Tuck Watkins is in the house, in the house of the Booze Brothers. Tuck, welcome, star of stage and screen. David, Steve, it's so exciting to be here. Thank you for inviting me to the Booze Brothers. No, it's exciting for us. Pleasure is ours. The pleasure is ours. Affirmative. Tuck, I guess the biggest question right out of the gate, you are a father of twins during a pandemic. What the hell? How are you surviving? You know, I got to say the first five years of my kid's life was more difficult than the pandemic. They're seven and a half now. And surprisingly, having kids has created some structure Mm. so that I don't wake up every morning and wonder what the heck we're going to do. The first half of the day is sort of uh, set. Breakfast, a little bit of school, even though it's summer, we're still doing some addition. We're still reading, things like that. So it's actually... It's actually kind of nice to have kids because they they provide some structure that wouldn't that wouldn't have been there. There's always that period of time where it's like you know a certain amount of the day is just going to be keeping them alive, right? Right, fed, clean, and with access to a restroom, and the rest of it's kind of gravy. Well, and so far, <laughs> so good, right? You've accomplished all those so far, so good. And we're we're there. There are worse places to sit out a pandemic than our sunny backyard in Southern California. So we have nothing to complain about. That is terrific. Yeah. Well, congratulations just for even doing that. Uh, Tuck, you know, we would be remiss not to acknowledge that you are just coming off of the great Broadway with boys in the band. You have a lot of other projects, but I, I have to hear about that. That was a a wild success. Was that, that was not the first time you've done Broadway, is it? Uh, well, yes, it was. It was the really? first time I'd done Broadway. Mm. I'd done some off-Broadway, but I was living in Kansas City, and it was February 2017, and my phone rang when I was in the park with my kids, and I was freezing my butt off thinking, what am I doing here? Yeah. <laughs> and um, it was Joe Mantello, who's a well-known Broadway director, and he said, hey, we're going to do a production of, of Boys in the Band. I know you're in Kansas City, but what do you think? And I said, yes, please. And so <laughs> um, we uh, we had a couple of workshops, um, and then uh, Ryan Murphy sort of gave the thumbs up. And we went into uh, rehearsal, and then we we did Boys in the Band on on Broadway. Uh, nine out gay actors played the nine parts. Uh, it was a revival of uh, the production from fifty years ago, and it, and it ended up winning the Tony Award for oh, um, best revival. That's awesome. Yeah. That is amazing. And so, tell me, like that compared to doing um, uh, a movie or a TV series, how do you bring the same amount of energy every night when you're performing like that? I don't. 
I really just phoned her. <laughs> After opening night, I just phoned. I just phoned her in. Really, yeah. Sleepwalk. No, every third show was good. You know, I gotta say, I've I, I grew up doing theater. Like I think every actor who grew up in the Midwest, you start. We all start out in the theater. But when I um, started um, working as an actor um, professionally, I have found that I really prefer TV and film. And the reason is, I have a hard time keeping things fresh. Right. I have, I'm, I'm not one of those actors that in each performance, I find a subtle nuance that nourishes me to the next performance. I'm not really that guy. <laughs> um, so that is a good question. And I, I think the answer to, to that for, for me being in Boys in the Band was, it felt like sort of a movement. It was more than a play. You know, it was, in a nutshell, the play is about these, these nine gay guys in an apartment in New York City in 1968 and what it was like to be gay in 1968. And it was not um, a, a bowl of ice cream. It was not um, a lot of fun necessarily. And um, to be able to do that play 50 years later and see how things are different and, you know, all of the actors were out in our production. None of them were out in 1968. And sadly, most of the actors who um, were gay in that production died of AIDS. Wow. And so there was a lot of um, heart in that play. And, you know, I really took stock of the fact that any freedom I feel like I have as, uh, as a gay man is because of the people that came before me. And I'm really standing on the shoulders of giants that came before me. So that's sort of a long-winded way of saying I felt like I was doing more than just a play. Um, the, the, the people who came to see it were really behind us. There's, there's nothing quite like getting a standing ovation before the play starts and then when wow. the play is over. So, and I got to work with incredible people like Ryan Murphy, who does, you know, he's so prolific on television, and Joe Mantello, who's won Tony's as a director and as an actor, and Andrew Rannells and Zach Quinto and Matt Bomer and Jim Parsons and Brian Hutchison, Robin DeJesus, Michael Benjamin Washington, Charlie Carver. We're all out there, and at the end of the play... We all go to the lip of that stage and we take each other's hands and we take a bow. And it kind of felt like this gay justice league that we all had our individual superpower and we all came together. And I feel like we kind of moved the needle forward in the terms of uh, how people perceive uh, gay people in America. Well, and Tuck, speaking of that, you had a certain love interest named Andrew Reynolds in Boys in the Band. How'd that end up? Yes, well, uh, life ended up imitating art, and uh, Andrew and I played uh, boyfriends in the play, and then we started being boyfriends in real life. That's amazing. So you're like Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton. It's, it's, it's very similar. On the- no, we, we fought more than them. We we fought a lot. He fought more. more. Uh, yes, but but he lived in, in in New York, and I lived in Kansas City, and I went back to Kansas City, and he went back to his uh, fancy life in New York and L.A. And then a year later, we came back together to make the movie, and I had moved to L.A. by then, and he was out in L.A. getting ready to do Boys in the Bay and then Black Monday, and so um, we kind of rekindled, and um, that awesome. has that is stuck. That is awesome, and it and uh, Black Monday. That's uh, with Kansas City's own Don Cheadle. That's right, Kansas City's own Don Cheadle and Tuck Watkins together at last on Showtime's Black Monday. So, so at the end though, you did say that you would choose to do TV and movies before theater. As a preference. Well, I, I really, here's, I really like television. The reason I like television 
series television is because you get to play the same part doing different things week to week or episode to episode. And I did a soap opera on and off for like 18 years. And what I thought was so cool about that was that I got to play this character, but he stole babies and he married six different women. And, you know, he kept getting into different shenanigans and I didn't have to repeat it (laughs) night after night after night doing the same thing. I didn't have to cry or kill my father every night on stage. I thought that was exciting. Tell us, tell us some of the uh, more fantastic shenanigans that occurred on, in your soap opera days as that as that character. So this was one life to live, right? Yeah. Let's see. On one life to live, I I married my sister. On General Hospital, <laughs> I was murdering children with heroin, <laughs> and then I got murdered in the morgue because I was I was hiding a half a million dollars of heroin in a chest cavity of a, a cadaver in the morgue. As one is wont to do. Ripped from today's headlines. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I got to say, doing a soap opera is so much fun. And they take the short, of the short end of the stick. And there's this rule in Hollywood about as soon as you get on a soap opera, the first thing you're supposed to do is get off the soap opera, which I did. And I, I left the soap two or three times to go be a movie star. And when mm-hmm. it wasn't working out, I would always call them up and say, hey, can I come out of jail? Um, <laughs> can I come back from, there's this fictional country called Mindora. Can I come back from Mindora? And uh, I, I had, it was great. It was so much fun because it is, it, it was the kind of acting that we all did when we were kids. It, it was silly. It was over the top. And if you, if you viewed a soap opera through the right lens, it was a ball. If you viewed it as something that you were better than or something mm-hmm. that you had to make better than it was, it was a very frustrating process. And, and I loved it. When you first started soap operas, how many soap operas, and, and you're now in your late 80s, so <laughs> how, how, how many soap operas existed in the 90s? I started on One Life to Live in 1994, and there were 12 soap operas. Oh my gosh. I think there's now four. What killed it? Kardashians? My opinion is soap operas did not evolve the way that the rest of television did. And I think that soap operas thought that they were doing their fans a service, Hmm. but I think their audiences were aging out and they weren't bringing in new viewers because if you look at it, it's, it's sort of an antiquated way of story, not way of storytelling, but the the way that it looked, the pace of it, it it didn't feel like it evolved. I feel like it needed to evolve in it. And so it it kind of became a dinosaur. Yeah. But didn't it just basically become like the Real Housewives? Well, also money. Yes. Yeah. Because One Life to Live was replaced by a show called I think The Revolution, mm. which was a reality show about lo- losing weight or something like that, and it lasted three or six months. Oh, wow. And One Life to Live was there for I think forty four years. So yeah, the networks were saving a ton of money by putting on things like The Chew and the revolution and, and, and shows like, and the Kardashians, cause they don't cost nearly what scripted programming costs. But then again, what is the greater cost, you know, over, you know, if, if you look at it in terms of, you know, a, a great amount of time, we keep switching up. I think that's part of why none of us have attention spans. I mean, not just my children don't have an attention span, but you, me, and the guy next door. I don't know. even know what you're talking I, about anymore. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Stop listening. What was that again? Exactly. What was it? <laughs> Yeah, but you starred in a what has now become a cult movie. You've done many movies, God bless you, but the cult movie being The Mummy, and there's a giant, like, constant conversation, even now, when I went to, to Google this, about that The Mummy took the almost, the, the guy with poor vision's eyes 
explain this. How, how could this happen and why? Well, here we are. Here we were in North Africa and Europe, and we've got the, this huge budget and these amazing actors and these locations. And um, it never came up in conversation in the six months we were making that movie. <laughs> Maybe the mummy shouldn't take the eyes of the blind guy. <laughs> I never thought it. The director never thought it. The mummy never thought it. But when you watch it, you go, well, of course, why in the world would that happen? But it, it <laughs> never came up in conversation at That's any incredible. point. So it's just a gaffe. It's just a mistake. And it's taken on a life of its own. Everybody still talks about it. Everyone loves that movie. It's fun. It's a fun movie. It's a popular one in our house. It is, it, it is a fun, it, it's uh it was kind of like, in, it was an Indiana Jones type movie. You know, I, I, I used to say I became an actor to do three things, ride a horse, shoot a gun and get killed. And I got to do all three in The Mummy. <laughs> So I should have retired. With the bonus of having your tongue removed. Right. <laughs> All tongueless. Was that, uh, was it a hard movie to make, being in North Africa? No, it was super fun. We're out there, you know, when you're an actor and you get hired and they fly you first class to the Sahara Desert to make a big budget picture, they ain't nothing like it. The one scary thing was um, we were protected by these guys called the Snake Wranglers who walked around with open-toed sandals and bright orange turbans and these metal staffs. And their only job was to find the sand vipers, which were snakes, and wind scorpions before they found us. Oh my God. Yeah. That's their job? Yes. Because, um, and, and every now and then they would catch something and they would walk it around, they would show everyone what they caught, sort of justifying their, their paycheck which they deserved. But yeah, there were scorpions, there were snakes, there were all sorts of creepy crawlies out there, not just the mummy. This podcast is brought to you by Tomstown Distilling Company, the first legal distillery legal? in downtown Cambridge. We're legal? Oh, well, at last, at last check it was. The first legal distillery in downtown Kansas City since Prohibition. What was it named after, David? Who's Tom? Famed political boss Tom Pendergast. He was very famous, Steve. And we're open for tastings and tours and events. Come visit our Art Deco-themed tasting room, speakeasy, and haunted house. <laughs> it is not a haunted house, but it is a speakeasy. As Tom used to say, and he really did say this, the people are thirsty. Come down and have a cocktail tonight. Ooh, speakeasy. Did you always know you wanted to be an actor? Uh, no. Um, really what it was is I, I had moved from Kansas City to St. Louis when I was in ninth grade. And I um, I just wanted to have friends. <laughs> oh, And I was sort of an, a challenge. on the outside looking in, yeah. like knocking on the popular kid's door saying, hey, can I come in and hang out? And um, I remember I took an acting class and I made people laugh. And I thought, oh, well, that's... Um, I want that. Mm. I, I I want. I just wanted to be included. I I wanted to be popular. I wanted to have friends, and and I found that I did that through an acting class, and um, it was just a ball. I thought it was a lot of fun, and then I went to college and I took more classes in acting. I would have had a double major in in theater, but I was afraid of the sewing machine, so I didn't take costuming. <laughs> but if I had taken costuming, I would have had a double major. Is costuming um, a passion of yours? Uh, no. <clears throat> to, to this day, I, I can't even sew on a button. But uh, I didn't. I never thought I would make money as an actor. I mean, right. when, we, when you grew up in Kansas City, at least in the '70s, 
the people that did that, they lived on another planet. Yeah. They, that wasn't not an option for me. That, that wasn't even something I considered. And then, um, some, someone in college said, yeah, I just went to Indianapolis and I did a bank commercial for $300. And I said, what? <laughs> and so um, once I, it's when I learned like, you can make money at this. And then I thought, well, maybe I'd like to do that. And then I thought, well, do I want to go to New York or LA? And New York seemed scary and had gutter juice and, you know, it was a terrifying place. And I thought, well, I think maybe I'll go struggle near a palm tree in the beach in California. And I started doing commercials I got really lucky. I got the first commercial I auditioned for. Oh, that's for, awesome. It was for Miller Lite Genuine Draft, which was not a product they ever made. They made Miller Genuine Draft Lite. That was your first? That was your first foray? Yes, that was first my first pay, commercial. Paycheck. That was my first paycheck, yes. And we shot it on the beach in Malibu between Lee Majors' house. <laughs> oh, really? Did you get to meet Lee Majors? He came out and he yelled at us because we were messing up the sand. He said, I pay good money to have that sand mowed. No. He said that. Yeah. He said mowed? They, Malibu's fancy. They, they mow the beach in Malibu, meaning it's sort of like at Royal Stadium when they bring out the, that machine that, that tamps down the, the pitcher's mound mm. and the first oh, base right. and third base area. Uh, it's kind of like that. It just flattens the beach. And from then, what was the trajectory post the the Miller ad? Then you went into soaps? Well, I did my one episode arc on Baywatch. I don't believe I've seen that episode. But uh, believe me, I will Google it. <laughs> I'm the only guy who was ever on Baywatch in a cardigan sweater and loafers. We weren't even at the beach. I, I had married Erica Eleniak, who is this gorgeous blonde series regular on Baywatch. I had married her sister, and so we were guest stars on this episode, and she, my my wife was showing off her fancy huge diamond ring, and then she was swimming in the pool, and she got her ring stuck in the pool drain, <laughs> and she was going to drown. And, oh, no. And then we all run out there. And, oh, and, no. And the series regular lifeguard, Billy Warlock, who's now a friend of mine, jumps in the pool and saves her life, and I go over and, and turn off the pool switch with my loafers and my cardigan sweater. <laughs> the filth, the drain system? You turned off the drain? It doesn't really matter. No, it matters to me. So, but did you meet Hasselhoff? Was Hasselhoff on this? No, I did not. I never even met the guy. Yeah. Now there's a legend. Baywatch, Game of Chance is the episode. Check it out. It's horrible. Game of Chance. I'm going to look that up. That's probably, it's probably accessible right now, I'm sure. Probably. But yeah, so then my first big gig was on One Life to Live. And that moved me to New York in 94. And I did that for a couple of years and, and then decided to go be a movie star. Um, and um, I got I got to do some stuff. I got to do the Mummy, and then then I got then I was broke, and then I went back to One Life to Live for a few years, and then I left to be a movie star, and then oh. I was broke. And you're and leaving off a, a little prime time here and there, a little thing called Desperate yeah, Housewives. There's some, there's some great stuff in there, but yeah, I I was always very fortunate that I had this net. I had this net for years, where if things weren't working out, or if I'd gone out and you know wasted my money buying stereo equipment, <laughs> which you did in the nineties. Um, I could go. I, I would call up the soap that that I that I love working on, and they'd let me come come back and, and work. I remember one scene from One Life to Live. I, I don't. It must have been on YouTube that I saw. It was not too long ago, and you are talking with your wife. I believe you're in jail. You're behind, literally behind bars, and while you're talking to her, you're trying to steal her ring off her finger through the bars while you're in jail. Yeah, it's, it, it's like Abbott and Costello meet the French connection. You know, this, 
<laughs> Remember in the Furniture Connection where that woman's stealing Gene Hackman's watch oh, yeah. as she's oh, right. getting him addicted to heroin? <laughs> Heroin's a big theme in my career. <laughs> but yeah, that's the kind of stuff. I mean, how much fun is it to do that, to pretend to tell someone how much you love them while steal their jewelry at the same time? It, it was great. It was a ball. <laughs> now, Tuck, for our podcast audience, they're not able to see this, but that is quite a beard. It looks a little bit... My rabbi would be jealous of this. Are, are you working on a on a beard? Is this happening? A beard garden? I'd say you've got one. No. Yeah. Well, th- thank you. <laughs> I've never had a beard before. I have never grown a beard. Other in, than your first wife. all my years. <laughs> <laughs> and here, and so I, you know, this is the time to do it, right? In fact, my beard got so long that I trimmed it. Really? I've never had to do that. Yeah. Yeah. You could audition for, uh, for Game of Thrones. You should go, you should, you should go for the Civil War look. The yes, really the, long uh, beard. Yeah, yeah. Like a the Confederate monument. That's what, and a, and a, that's what and you a, want these and days. And a corn cob pipe. Well, you can see before and after pictures on Instagram. Before beard, after beard. I keep thinking I'm going to shave it off, but... It looks good. No, we're yeah. not. No one's. No, we're not going back to our real lives ever. ever. No, no. So. This is permanent. Now, Tuck, we have our own version of the actor's studio. Remember uh, James Lipton, where he would ask those those ten questions. Ours are, of course, a little bit different. But um, do you have those blue cards? Those blue yes, cards, exactly. Yeah, in front of that awkward classroom. Who didn't really want <laughs> sure. to see that. Um, <laughs> But I and and Steve, you like to talk about game changers, don't you? Like to talk about game changers? Always, always. You know, when we decided to start a, a distillery, well, I mean, I did. Um, oh, and love uh, to join and ask David to come along. No, when we were thinking about doing this, we thought, hey, what can we do? We don't, we don't want to do the same old, same old. Let's do something that and make some game changing spirits. So um, that's what we've done with Tomstown. But I, I kind of think everybody has a moment in their life that's a game changer for them. And so we like to ask, what was the game changer in your life? You know, what comes to mind immediately is having kids. But here's why. I grew up uh, as a gay kid and as a gay adult, knowing that one day I was going to be a dad. I didn't know how I didn't want to get into a relationship that was not true. I knew I wasn't going to do that. And I thought, how am I going to do this? I looked. So as I got to be an adult, I looked at adoption. I looked at fostering. And then there was this thing called surrogacy. And um, I thought, if I can have my own kids, I would like to try to do that. And so um, I became a dad. And I became a single dad of of twins, a boy and a girl. And, you know, I, I... I remember I was in my 40s when I decided to do it, and I thought, I'm tired of being the most important person in my own life. I think if I'm going to be a dad, I need to do this now. And so uh, I engaged with a surrogacy agency, and I met some lovely people who helped me to become a father. And I thought, you know, the first half of my life have all been about me. It's been great. I've loved it. And I think I want the second half of my life to be about my kids. And so the reason I think that's a game changer for me is anything that I think about doing is through the eyes of being a dad. I used to wonder a lot, like, what's going to be next? Or what should I do now? And a lot of it is just answered because I think, is this the right thing for my kids? That is, Mm. yeah, quite a game changer. Okay, Tuck, then we have, we're going to shoot into our just 10 questions. Just brace yourself. Don't overthink this, Tuck. You're, you're a known overthinker. Please dial it down. <laughs> sure. I want to dumb this sure. down for our, uh, okay. for our audience. Gotcha. Favorite class in high school, least favorite class in high school? Uh, favorite class in high school is probably 
driver's ed because I didn't get to play video games at home. <laughs> and there were those weird machines that you would drive like a video game. I thought that was a ball. Simulator. Um, I, I just hated math. And the reason I hated math is because I was just bad at it. I was told I was bad at it when I was a kid, the same way I was told that I was bad at baseball. And so they scared math out of me and they scared baseball out of me. And I think I would have been a good baseball player if they'd given me a chance. Wait a minute, uh, Steve, I think Tuck just broke some news. Did you, you were saying you were not allowed to play video games? That's, that's right. I had to, I, I had, and, and yes. It's not that I wasn't allowed. We just weren't allowed to have them in our home. And all my buddies were getting Atari. Oh, yeah. Everybody had yeah. Atari. Yeah. Apparently everybody but you. <laughs> no wonder you weren't popular. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I did never, I never Put that noodled together. out the reason. This is turning into a therapy session. <laughs> that dude doesn't have video games. You want to come over and play war on Atari? <laughs> <laughs> so they 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 just wouldn't let you have it no and if i went to a friend's house to play that was fine but but when i would plead i want atari i want in television i want nintendo the answer was just no <laughs> no 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 you're not getting that okay uh okay right. favorite tv commercial jingle that is a tough one it's, well it was a local it was a local commercial in kansas city for um a product called absolutely nuts which was a dessert topping. And it, it just went, you guys are nuts. <laughs> it was a mom talking to her husband and, and the son in the kitchen. And it just ended with, you guys are nuts. <laughs> I, 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 always, I always liked the slogan from um, the wipes, the wet wipes, wet ones. Remember? And the slogan was, pop up a wet one. <laughs> so... Sounds dirty. Yeah, it sure does. Does it? I could just. <laughs> you can't. I might want to buy a way. case of those. But then, how do how do you beat the simplicity of by Menon? Yeah, that, <laughs> that's that still, is true. That's still in my head. Okay, Tuck, uh, your junior high nickname and a nickname you wish people had called you. Uh, well, I've never had a nickname, and the reason is because Tuck right. is a nickname. True, it's a nickname for Charles Curtis Watkins the third. Mm-hmm. So I sort of already had a nickname. So everyone just called me Tuck. In gym, I always wanted my gym teacher to call me Watkins. And they never did, because I thought that would sound so cool. So just someone, hey, Watkins. They would, they would always go like, Rivera, Epstein, Tuck. I'm like, well, no, I should, call me Epstein, call me Watkins. Yeah, let, let me tell you, Tuck, in gym class, you don't want to hear Epstein. That is just not, <laughs> it's not going to go well. Mine just knew it was not going to go well. <laughs> Tuck, what do you know now that you wish you knew in your 20s? Mm. I wish I knew that I loved architecture. Mm. If I could go back and study something rather than sort of wander into telecommunications, which is the only degree that no one has any questions about because no one knows what it is, <laughs> including myself. And, I have and you're a major. <laughs> um, I, I didn't realize how much I loved architecture until I was out of school. Mm. And when I go to a museum, I look at the building more than the art itself. Um, I love the fountainhead and the character of Howard Rourke, but I didn't read about that until I was out of school. So I wish I knew yeah. that my favorite form of art was going to be architecture. Interesting. Favorite form of communication, phone call, text, email, or mailing a letter? Mailing a letter, really? 100%. I started doing that again recently um, to my mother, who's back in Kansas mm. City. I, I, I ride out <clears throat> specifically memories from the era that we're sort of talking about, from the from the seventies, growing growing up, um, 
And I love receiving a letter. I love opening a letter. I love seeing someone's handwriting. I, you know, I, I will often recognize who it's from just by seeing the, the way that it's written. Um, it's just, there's just, it's just such a deep well. Mm, oh, it. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, have you ever fulfilled a New Year's resolution, and what was it, if so? You're going to regret asking this oh, question. I already do. Get ready. Um, because I, I keep all my New Year's resolutions. No. I, I usually give up something in the upcoming year, and I usually start doing something hmm. in the upcoming year. And um, the, I think the first year I started doing this as an adult, I gave up getting parking tickets, because I was getting parking tickets left and right in Los Angeles. And I said, I am not getting parking tickets anymore. And I stopped getting parking tickets. Mm-hmm. And that stuck. And the thing that I said I was going to start doing was I was going to start wearing more jackets. <laughs> jackets. I thought, I thought an adult male should wear more jackets. <laughs> I'm just a guy that wears jackets that never gets parking tickets. That's yeah. the new me. Well, I, I like the idea that you're just, I'm not going to get parking tickets anymore. Well, it takes two for that, right? Because the person who gives right. out the tickets has to do that. But you just decided you would not park illegally anymore. Is that what the decision was? That's right. I was going to stop being a knucklehead and thinking, oh, I'm just going to run into the post office. Oh, I can park in red for five minutes. I just stopped doing stuff like Parking that. meters are for the little people. And now you just <laughs> yes. Uber everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't apply to me. I was on Baywatch. Oh, right. <laughs> Don't you know who I am? Uh, Tuck, though, one last question in deference to James Lipton. Favorite curse word? Favorite curse word? Goddamn son of a bitch. <laughs> wow, that's a... Where'd you learn that? <laughs> I, I stole that from the Winnebago Man. I think a lot of your listeners will know who the Winnebago Man is. Uh, really? There's this viral video that went around. This guy that was doing an industrial video on selling the Winnebagos on his you know, Winnebago <laughs> I remember lot. this. And everything goes wrong. Oh, yeah. Everything goes wrong. And he's just screaming, God damn, son of a bitch, <laughs> to everyone on the set and to the crew and to the cameraman. <laughs> and he's sweating and screaming and he... He's like, everybody stop screwing around, and that includes me. <laughs> uh, and that just the way that goddamn son of a bitch rolled off of his tongue, I thought was amazing. It's lyrical. It is a bit lyrical. It's yeah. iambic pentameter, too, actually. Wow. <laughs> I'll have to look that one up. Tuck, I was reading a uh, an old interview with you from a publication out of Chicago, and you said the following about singing. My fear stems from grade school. I was in the boys' choir at my church, and the choir master asked, who'd like to sing a solo on Christmas Eve? I raised my hand. No one else did. And the choir master asked, anyone else? (laughs) (laughs) What what happened? What went wrong? You're a triple threat. I'm barely a single threat. (laughs) But singing baseball and math will haunt me for the rest of my life. I was this eager sixth grader. I was like, yeah, I'll sing a solo on Christmas Eve at church. Sure, why not? So they let me rehearse, Is It Very Far to Bethlehem, which I still know. Could you do a couple bars just for... Our- <laughs> Is it very far to Bethlehem? That's a triple There's threat There's a star right there. hanging high in the eastern sky. And it goes on from there. Anyone else? Anyone else? <laughs> anyone else? Anyone? Well, I'll tell you what, that anyone else was Robbie Clark, because oh. in the 11th hour, the choir master added Robbie Clark to my Christmas Eve Frickin solo. Robbie Clark. Well, I knew it. I knew it. We've got a surprise for you, because Robbie Clark is here. Ladies and gentlemen, Robbie oh, Clark. Robbie. No. still an angelic singing voice robbie clark and so so yeah singing got scared out of me too i was in one musical anything goes and i played sir evelyn oakley the british chap (laughs) 
and he's supposed to sing, you're the top, you're the tower of Pisa, you know, oh, that song. Favorites. And he's supposed to have these um, individual segments of that song where he sings by himself. And they added the girl to my oh, individual. My so it was a double whammy. <laughs> they doubled down. The world doubled down in telling me that I should not sing. Well, Tuck, sir, so you are listening. a quadruple threat. I don't know if that sounds yeah. right, well, but you are, you are a threat to Steve and I and the Booze Brothers. And we thank you for doing all that you do. Is there anything, what should we be watching next to see Tuck Watkins? Is it the Don Cheadle? Is it Broadway? Where, where should we looking out for? Well, right now uh, you can see season two of Black Monday on Showtime. Uh, I did a, uh, the, the second season of uh, of the Showtime series that, that Andrew, my boyfriend, Andrew Reynolds, is a series regular Did you on. say Reynolds? At, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm still working on pronouncing my boyfriend's last name. <laughs> You'll get there. And then in October, uh, the boys in the band will be on Netflix. Oh, awesome! Oh, cool. excellent! So um, that there'll be some more pandemic viewing. Oh, fantastic! Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yes. Well, Tuck, thank you so much for your time and your attention and the thoughtfulness that you brought to your answers. Well, I, I admire you guys for bringing someone on that you consider a threat. <laughs> Listen, you go out and pop up a wet one, and we'll talk to you soon. Mm. Bye, minute. Good night, Tuck. Good night. The Booze Brothers is brought to you by Tomstown Distilling Company. Steve, what is Tomstown? It's a five-year-old craft distillery based in Kansas City, Missouri. I love that town. Our award-winning spirits are available throughout the country. Learn more about botanical gin, double oak bourbon, and other spirits at Tomstown.com. What's that address, Steve? That's Toms-Town.com. David, next time on the Booze Brothers, we have a very special episode with a good friend of ours, Brooke Dillman. God, I love that woman. She was in Blue Collar TV, and Steve, uh, you auditioned, but didn't get this, uh, kicking it on Disney Channel. I did. I did. See, uh, they they were looking for someone uh, 12 years old the first time yeah. uh, I interviewed. I was, I was 38. Then they were looking, a couple years later, they were looking for a 14-year-old. I was 40. So it never really it's, never really worked out. It's interesting that your agent kept pushing you for those roles. At some point did you say I I, I think pre-teen children are not my wheelhouse. Well, the interesting thing was I had met my agent through it was just through email. We had never met each other. So she thought because of the way I write emails that I was 12. You do use a lot of exclamation points, but did you have a headshot? Did you No. <laughs> did your headshot? No, I had a drawing. I had a courtroom artist do a drawing of me. And you didn't get the part. <laughs> that blows me away. It still hurts. <laughs> Thanks for bringing it it's up. Just salt. Salt that Never one. brought it up. Ladies and gentlemen, Brooke Dillman next week. The Booze Brothers is brought to you by Tomstown Distilling Company, creators of game-changing spirits like our botanical gin, distilled with an exotic combination of 14 botanicals. This is an American gin that even gin cynics will enjoy. Its distinctive flavor defines a new generation of gin lovers.